Would you turn with me once again in the Word of God to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 through 62 this morning. Luke 9, verses 51 through 62. And these verses, Luke tells us about Jesus' commitment to save his people and about the kind of commitment Jesus calls us to as we follow him. So we're going to think about these two commitments, the commitment of Jesus and our commitment to him today. Before I read our passage, let's pray and ask for the Lord's blessing. Lord, this is your word. Help us to hear it today as such and make it profitable to us. May we see again the way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Teach us, uh, reprove us where necessary, correct us and heal us and train us in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We ask this in the name of our Savior. Amen. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And we give thanks to the Lord for his word. How committed is Jesus to your salvation? That's an important question for our assurance, isn't it? When we... uh, when we blow it as Christians, when we are weak in faith, when we're we're struggling to understand the, the Lord's purpose in our lives and when we're struggling to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully, how committed is Christ to saving his people? This passage answers that question for us. And it presents to us uh, a Savior, not, not who is uncommitted to saving his people, not a, not a Savior who is semi-committed to saving his people, but a Savior who is fully committed 
to saving his own. He, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he did not look back. But this passage also talks to us about a, a, another kind of commitment, the kind of commitment Jesus calls us to. Jesus calls us to follow him and to never look back. I want us to see today how his commitment to our salvation leads to his call for us to commit ourselves to him and to never ever look back. These are two things I want us to consider today, the commitment of Jesus and our commitment to him. Now, the first thing then, the commitment of Jesus to us. Now, first of all, Jesus has been uh, teaching in the region of Galilee up to this point. Now we're told he sets his face toward Jerusalem. This is, this is one of those key verses in the Gospel of Luke. It is, it is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, and in his mind, there is no turning back. And we all know what awaited Jesus in Jerusalem. You know, the disciples were, were struggling at this point to fully understand it. But we, but we understand, don't we, what Jerusalem meant for, for Jesus. It meant he would be rejected. It meant he would be arrested and falsely accused and scourged and beaten and hung on a cross. And yet for all of that, we're told here, Jesus set his face to go. Doesn't that, doesn't that give you an amazing comfort? Jesus knew all of these things. Jesus knew what awaited him in the city of Jerusalem, and he determined to go. He didn't shrink back. He didn't deviate from the plan of his heavenly father. Jesus went to Jerusalem knowing what it meant. Jesus knew Jerusalem meant suffering and death. He, he knew that. He, he knew that from the Old Testament scriptures. He knew that from the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the revelation of his father. He knew it was the place where he would lay down his life for his people. He knew it was the place where he would be pierced for our transgressions. He knew it was the place that the Lord would crush him for our sin. He knew it was the place where he would be put to death and driven into the land of outer darkness. For Jesus, Jerusalem was a call to suffering and a call to death, and he set his face to go. He determined to go to the cross. And friends, as we begin looking at this passage, we need to see, first of all, this is the commitment of Jesus to, to save his people. He cared more about doing the will of his heavenly Father than saving his own life. He, he loved you more than he loved life itself. And so before we talk about the, the commitment to Jesus that he calls us to, our commitment to Christ, we need to, we need to understand Jesus' commitment to saving his own. He is committed to saving them. Think about the disciples here, despite their, their past and present and future failures. He, he's committed to saving them despite the fact that these are the men who will abandon him in the hour of his greatest need and, and deny him. He set his face to go. 
He, he resolutely determined. That's the idea of, of the, the language here. We can't do justice to the sheer wonder of it when we think about the commitment of Jesus here. He was absolutely, unreservedly committed to going to Jerusalem for people like his disciples who failed at times, for people like that, for people like you and me. And so in the first place, we see the, the absolute commitment of Christ in this passage. But I want us to focus here today on, on what the rest of this passage is about. This, in the second part, we see various responses to Jesus, various commitments to him. The rest of these verses, they tell us about a group and then three individuals responding to Jesus. First of all, there was the response of utter rejection. Jesus sent his messengers ahead of him, and they entered uh, the Samaritan village to make preparations for him. But the Samaritans rejected him, and the reason we're told is because Jesus had his face set to Jerusalem. The Samaritans, you remember, had their own place of worship on Mount Gerizim, while the Jews worshipped on Mount Jerusalem. The Samaritans had uh, this conflict and this disagreement with the Jews for several centuries at this point, and at times these disagreements and this antagonism led to, led to violence. So when the Samaritans found out Jesus was going to Jerusalem, they rejected him. They didn't welcome him. They, they closed their doors to him. They did not receive him because he was heading to Jerusalem. For us, I think it, you read it and it sounds like a trivial answer, but my friends, this was, when you really think about it, the most sobering, somber decision these Samaritans ever made in their lives. What may appear to be trivial is in fact closing the door to the author of our salvation. To, to reject this Jesus is to reject God and the Christ of his providing. And so whatever reason they may have given and we may give for rejecting him, if, if we will not receive this Christ, we are rejecting the very provision of God. We are closing the door to the only one who can reconcile us to God. Now, while ethnic and religious pride may be the reason the Samaritans rejected Jesus, I think Luke is presenting it as a part of a, of a bigger story. Jesus was sent on a saving mission by God. And as he's going forth and he's proclaiming the message of salvation and the good news of the kingdom of God, some people refuse to welcome him as the Christ and to follow him as Lord. But Here's what you need to notice too. Jesus showed grace to these Samaritans. Right? Despite their antagonism, despite the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans, Jesus was willing to go there. Jesus was willing to speak to them. Jesus was willing to tell them of the good news of the gospel. But they would not receive him. And they, they didn't want him there. I think as we look at these different responses to Jesus, the question Luke wants us to be asking ourselves along the way is simply this. How am I 
responding to Christ. My friends, he has graciously come to us with his word. He has made known to us the way of salvation. And I I beg you, do not leave today without seriously asking yourself the question, how am I responding to Christ? It's not a trivial matter. It's not something we can skirt under the rug and come back to at another time. This is truly a matter of life and death, of eternity. We don't know if the apostles, maybe later, ever came back to this Samaritan village. Maybe they didn't. Maybe this was the the only time these Samaritans ever had access to the good news of Jesus Christ. This was not a trivial matter. And so we need to be asking ourselves, though, how, how is my heart responding to this Christ? Now, as we go on here, James and John, as they, as they saw the people reject Jesus, they, they wanted to do something about it, didn't they? They said to him, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down and consume them? It looks like they were seeing themselves in connection with the Old Testament prophet Elijah, who was also sent with a message to the Samaritans, who's spoke a message to the king of Samaria, and the king of Samaria rejected that message. And then later, the king of Samaria sent soldiers after Elijah the prophet to call him to account. Elijah called down fire from heaven, and the fire consumed these men. And James and John are seeing themselves in in that story and applying it to their circumstances. And they say, "Do do you want us to do what Elijah did? Wipe these people out. How how dare these Samaritans refuse you, Jesus? Let us call down the judgment of God upon them. What What does Jesus do? He turns to them and he rebukes them. Now, I think we need to be fair to James and John and say this. Clearly, they had great zeal for Jesus, didn't they? It bothered them when people rejected Christ. They cared about the honor of the name of the one they followed. And we shouldn't fault them for that. And yet Jesus rebukes them because the day of judgment had not yet come. And they were failing to understand the mercy of God. Jesus had not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is saying to James and John, this is is not the day of judgment. This is a day of grace. This is a day of mercy. There is is good news that needs to be proclaimed. You see, God is, in this present time, restraining his judgment. Jesus is saying to his disciples, you need to understand. It's not time for the judgment. Not, Not yet. Today is a day for grace. So how, how do you view? How do you view the unbeliever who shuts the door to Christ? How do you think about the person who, who rejects Christ altogether and wants nothing to do with you because they know you're going to speak about Christ? Do you ever, do you ever think in your heart, Lord, bring, bring judgment down on them? Jesus rebukes that kind of thinking. He says, no, 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 no. You 
You love them. You, you show them grace and, and kindness and you seek every opportunity to make known the news of salvation. You tell them the gospel. You do whatever you can to bring the gospel to them because this is a day of grace. And the good news that people need to hear is going forth right now. There's also something I think to learn about zeal from James and John's misinformed zeal. James and John were zealous, but it was not a good zeal. You think about it, it was actually a zeal that misunderstood God and, and his word. I think this actually has application to many areas of our lives. I want you to listen to a quote here from J.C. Rowell. I think it's, I think it's right on. Listen to what he says. It is possible to have much zeal for Christ and yet to exhibit it in a most unholy and unchristian way. It is possible to mean well and have good intentions and yet to make most grievous mistakes in our actions. It is possible to fancy that we have scripture on our side and to support our conduct by scriptural quotations and yet to commit serious errors. I think, I think we need to say we can, we can make the same mistake that John and James made. To be zealous about something that is good, but to do it in a way that is not good. To be zealous for Christ, but to be zealous for Christ in, a, in an unchristlike manner. To be, uh, to be enthusiastic and zealous for God's ways, but to be zealous in an ungodly way. This can come out in various ways in our lives, can it? It can happen in our witness for Christ. It can come out when we have disagreements with fellow believers. It can come out in our homes with our spouse, with our children. My friends, I think this is what Jesus is saying here. Zeal for Christ and his word is a good thing. But that zeal must be Christ-like and informed by God's word, or it is worthy of our Lord's rebuke. And so the first response we see to Jesus here in this passage is, is rejection. The Samaritans did not receive him. But there are other responses to Jesus here. The rest of the chapter looks at three encounters Jesus had with would-be disciples along his way to Jerusalem. As we look at these, I want you to see that each of them call us to unreservedly and absolutely commit ourselves to Christ. As Jesus was traveling towards Jerusalem, someone came to him and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Here is, here is someone ready to follow Jesus anywhere he went without any questions, without any conditions he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I will follow you anywhere and everywhere. And you'd expect at this point to say, let's get this, Jesus to say, let's get this guy signed up. Hey, can, can, we, can you do any better than that, right? But of course, Jesus responds in a way that surprises us, doesn't he? And he says to this man, I, I, want, you, I want you to think about foxes and birds for a minute. You think about these foxes and these birds who have a, a place to call home, a place to rest, a, a place to, to lie down. 
a place, as it were, they, they have worldly comforts. And he goes on to say, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, what is, what's, what's Jesus doing here? I think he's saying, the Savior of the world was a vagabond. The Savior of the world from his birth and throughout his ministry had nowhere to lay his head. How, how much he gave up to come into the world to be our Savior, dear friends. And, and, and as he's talking to this person who's saying, I'll follow you anywhere, Jesus responds to say, I have nowhere. Will you follow me there? Will you follow me into the nowhere? Will you follow me no matter what it costs? Will you follow me being willing to give up anything and everything for my sake? Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is calling us all to give up our possessions to follow him. But Jesus is testing the, the reality of this man's commitment with this statement. My friends, today, God's word, it's calling us to commit to Jesus, not simply for what he can give us, but to simply follow him for his own sake. To, to recognize that following Jesus is worth it. Will we follow him anywhere? Will we follow him into nowhere? Will we commit to him if it means giving up everything for him because he is worth it? Because he is more important than anything else. Friends, will, will we commit to following Jesus simply for the sheer glory of who he is and what he has done for his people? Will we follow him in his humiliation, Jesus is asking. You see, Jesus is calling us to examine the reality of our commitment to him, my friends. Is, is it real? Is it real? Will you, will you follow him unconditionally? Will you follow him whatever he calls you to? You see, saying, I will follow you to Jesus, it, it means following him no matter what. It doesn't mean that we're, we're called to give away everything. It does mean that we are prepared to give up anything for Jesus and his sake. But then there's another man Jesus talks to and his, his response is, is a little different. Jesus said to this man, follow me. And he said to Jesus, let me go and let me go first and bury my father. This man said, I'll follow you anywhere. The first man said, I'll follow you anywhere. The second man said, I'll follow you, but. I'll follow you, but let me first go and bury my father. Jesus, you know, I've got something to do first. There's something that, that actually takes priority over following you. Now, to understand what's going on here, I think we have to answer a question. Is, is this man saying, Jesus, my father has just died. Let me, let me go and see to his burial, and then I'll come and follow you. Or is this man saying to Jesus, my father's getting older. Let me, let me tend to his needs. And when that's taken care of, when I've laid him in the ground, however long that may be from now, I will then come and follow you. 
Well, I think we can rule out the idea that this man's father has, has just died because it was custom at that time to uh, bury a, a, a Jew within 24 hours and the family was by their side until they laid the body to rest. And so I, I think this man is saying, look, Jesus, I will follow you, but, there, but there's actually something more important that comes first. Let, let me deal with looking after my father and when that's taken care of, then I will commit to you. Now, we need to say, it, right, it's a noble thing what this man is requesting. It's a good thing to care for your parents as they grow old. God calls us to honor our parents, and one of the best ways we can honor them is by caring for them in their declining years. And so then maybe, maybe when Jesus responds here, at first he sounds harsh. Look at what he says. Let the dead bury their own dead. But my friends, Jesus isn't being harsh here. He's doing what he's been doing. He's testing this man at the deepest level of his commitments. Understand, Jesus is not saying that following him gives you grounds of excuse from doing what God calls us to do. It's not the point here. The point is he's pressing home this question to to our hearts. Do, Do you understand that Your highest and most urgent duty in life is to follow Jesus. Do do you love, as Jesus asks in another place, do you love your father and your mother more than you love me? Is your family more important to you than following me? Is a relationship in your life more important than following me? What comes first in your heart, Jesus is asking? The kingdom of God of God, or your family. I think it's a great blessing, isn't it, to have a good family, to have good parents. It's a a wonderful, wonderful thing, and it is a God-honoring thing to care for our parents who loved us and cared for us in our younger years, to go on and love them and care for them in their older years. In fact, I think one of one of the greatest blessings in this life is, is that, that precious relationship that we have with our parents. But Jesus calls us here to put him first. He, he, is, he is calling and testing us at the deepest level of our commitment. And, and he's asking us this, my friends. Is there something or someone in your life that takes precedence over following him? When when push comes to shove, what do you follow? Who do you follow? What comes first? We're meant to see here if we are going to follow Jesus, then he must be first. The answer to follow Jesus, that answering that call means recognizing that giving Jesus our absolute devotion is the greatest duty of our lives. This man said he would follow Jesus, but it wasn't a matter of, of first importance. My friends, Jesus wants us to follow him first, and then all of the things in life will take their proper place. I want to say this is for all of us, but I want to speak especially to To young people today, please, please hear this. Jesus wants your 
absolute love and utter devotion. He wants your mind. He wants your heart. He wants your will. He wants your life. He wants you to say with all of your life, following Jesus is the great priority of my life. Following him is the great passion of my life. Because he's worth it, my friends. And so following him governs everything we do. But there's a third man who said to Jesus in verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. It's another commitment, but something else comes first. Lord, I will follow you, but... He was, he was willing to, to follow more quickly than the first man, but there's still a condition, isn't there? Lord, I, I will follow you, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. And he wanted, to, he wanted to go home and say farewell to his family, and once again, it's a reasonable request. A request that uh, the prophet Elisha made when Elijah came and called uh, Elisha to follow him, and Elijah went home, and you remember, he burned his plow and slaughtered the oxen and had a feast to say goodbye with his family, to his family. But here, here we are, and I think Jesus detects in this man's heart that there, there's a longing to, to not let go of something, even as he follows Christ. That if he returns home, he may never begin to follow Christ at all. And so Jesus calls him to follow him and not look back to follow him without reservation. You see, this response, think about the language. This response of this potential follower is a statement that you should never hear come forth from the lips of a disciple. I will follow you, Lord, but... Let me first. I mean, calling him Lord, isn't it recognizing that he comes first? That he takes priority. I will follow you, Lord, but. I will follow you, but let me first enjoy my youth. I will follow you, but let me first take care of my career. I will follow you, but let me first have this relationship. I will follow you, but not right now. My friends, how are you responding? Again, how are we responding to the call to follow Christ? Well, I hope none of us are saying, I will follow you, Lord, but. And I hope, I hope each one of us can say from our hearts, I will follow you, Lord, now. And so in this passage, Luke describes for us, first of all, the absolute unreserved commitment of Jesus to go to Jerusalem to save his people. And, and then we see, he, as he set his face to go to Jerusalem, he didn't look back. And, and in light of such grace, what should our commitment to Jesus be, dear friends? It's not to reject him. It's not to say, I will follow you, Lord, anywhere and not mean it. It's not to say, I will follow you, Lord, but with conditions. Jesus actually tells us here how we are to follow him with, a, with an agricultural illustration. He says at the end of this passage, you put your hands to the plow and you don't look back. 
That's, a, that's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to, to follow the Lord Jesus. You put your hands to the plow and you do not look back. I don't know much about plowing, but from what I read, to, to plow his field, this man had to take care of the direction of his plow so that the furrow in the ground remained straight. So if this trench in the field was, was to, to be a straight line in the field as he stood behind the plow and he put his hands to the plow, he had to look straight ahead. What happens if you're driving down the road and you, you look to the right or to the left? Well, inevitably, the, the car begins to veer in that direction. And in the same way, Jesus is saying the, the farmer must keep his eyes fixed straight ahead to keep the line straight. And in the same way, Jesus is saying that his disciples must put their hands to the plow, looking straight ahead, keeping their eyes fixed upon him, following him wherever he goes. My friends, who of us, though, as, as we think about this, as we think about this call to follow Jesus without reservation, to love him more than anything else and fix your eyes on him and never look back. Who, who of us here doesn't feel a degree of, of shame? The times, times I've failed to follow Jesus. The times I've said, I'll follow you and I didn't follow through. The times I loved me before I loved him. The times I put my hands to the plow and I, and I looked back. Oh, but the, do you see this passage? The commitment Jesus calls us to, to, to you and me today, is a renewed and fresh commitment to the plow, to put our hands to the plow, to keep our eyes fixed upon him until the work is, is done. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Will you, will you follow him with that kind of commitment, dear friends? Do you see how this passage works? Do you see how it begins and ends? It, it begins telling us that Jesus looked to Jerusalem. He set his face to Jerusalem to be our Savior. And he did not look back. And along the way, he calls disciples to follow him. To love him. To commit their lives to him. To look to him. And to never, ever look back. My friends, may it be... That we, we be found these kind of disciples. May we put our hands to the plow. Loving the Lord Jesus. Following the Lord Jesus. Keeping our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. Until the very end. Let's pray together. Lord we thank you. For the commitment of. The Lord Jesus Christ. To be the savior of sinners. And we pray O oh Lord. That by your grace and Mercy that you would enable us to commit ourselves to following him day by day with our eyes fixed upon the Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.